All right. Hello, Christ community. So glad all of you are here. Greetings to our West Campus and our Traditions venue, as well as our friends in LaSalle. Really glad all of you are here today. Uh, we're, we're a church that is all about seeing God change people's stories. Um, and that's the kind of God he is. And that's why we take some time in our services every week to look into his word, because God uses his word to speak to us and, and transform us. Um, that's the kind of thing Jesus does. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. We are continuing our journey through the book of Luke. We're going verse by verse through this eyewitness-based account of Jesus' life and ministry. And what we're discovering is that Jesus often doesn't fit into the perception of we the perception that we often have of him. In fact, he often says things that are pretty unsettling, things that upend our modern-day perspective on spirituality. He often gives us these reality checks, right, to help us, to help remind us of what is true and, and what is real in the midst of our culture that is usually telling us the opposite. And nowhere is this more the case than with the topic that Jesus addresses in the passage we're looking at today, the issue of salvation. See, one of the major themes, if not the major theme in the Bible, is the theme of salvation. The entire Bible is the story of God's plan to save humanity. But what does that mean? What does that mean? We hear the word saved all the time, you know, in Christian circles. Are you saved? Is so-and-so saved? And honestly, it can kind of start to feel a little irritating. We can kind of be turned off by this word. It starts to feel really churchy and religious. But, but, but we dare not let that cause us to dismiss or ignore or minimize this word Say because it is so important. Later in the book of Luke, Jesus says that he came to seek and save the lost. See, his purpose here on earth was all about salvation. So what does that word mean? The Greek word for salvation is the word sozo. And sozo is this amazing word that means to deliver. It means to make whole. It means to rescue. It is this powerful description of what God is doing on the earth. It's the, the, this description of the story that God is writing. It's a story that begins with creation, right? Where Adam and Eve were created in God's image, and they were placed in this perfect environment known as the Garden of Eden. Everything is whole. Their relationship with God is perfect. Their relationship with each other, their relationship with creation, everything is good. See, that's God's ultimate design. God designed this world to be without wars and without conflict and without disease and without abuse and racism, all these things. He designed it to be whole. But something horrible happened in, the, in this perfect environment. Adam and Eve chose to not trust God and instead to assert self. And the result was disastrous and far-reaching. So suddenly, into this perfect environment, sin and evil were, were unleashed. You know, conflict and murder and hatred and rebellion and violence and abuse. See, no longer was our relationship with God whole, nor our relationship with others. Everything was broken. Ever since then, we live in this brokenness as human beings. Every day on the news, we read and we see story after story. We see this being played out, shootings and violence and abuse and racism and conflict and addiction. This is us. This is us. 
This is the brokenness we see all around us and within us. And there is nothing we can do to free ourselves from the penalty and the destructiveness of sin. Which is, which is where this idea of sozo comes in. See, God's plan all along was to rescue us from this, to provide salvation for us, to restore and redeem all the evil and brokenness that sin has wrought on our planet, which is why Jesus came to earth. He came to seek and save the lost. That's us. We need to be saved. That is our only hope. Which raises a very important question. How do we experience this salvation that God offers us? See, that's the question that Jesus addresses in the passage we're looking at. But actually, instead of showing us how to be saved, what Jesus shows us in this passage is how not to be saved. Okay? He focuses on, in this passage, Jesus describes five specific ways that we can miss this amazing gift of salvation. So let's look at these. First way to miss salvation is to never make it personal. Never make it personal. Look with me at beginning in verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? So a person in the crowd raises this issue of salvation, but notice how they do it. The, this person is not asking, how can I be saved? It's not what they're asking. No, they're asking, how many people will be saved? This is a theological question, not a personal one, which is where a lot of people, if we're honest, a lot of people prefer to keep this discussion about salvation in kind of this generic realm of hypotheticals and theological discussions. You know, what about those people in Africa who never hear the gospel? Or what about children who die? Or what about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation? I mean, all of those are legitimate questions, but sometimes people use these things as a smokescreen. They use these things as a smokescreen to divert attention from the most important issue. What are you going to do with this personally? What are you going to do with this personally? That's the most important question, which is why Jesus doesn't really answer this person's question. He doesn't at all. Instead, he makes it personal, right? Look at the next verse, verse 24. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. In other words, Jesus is saying the most important issue as it relates to salvation, is what you do about it personally. It's what you do about it personally. Ultimately, God is going to have to figure out what to do with the person in Africa who never heard the name of Jesus, right? We, we have no control over that. We have no control over that. We trust God's goodness and his love. What we do have control over is what we do with Jesus. See, that's the question for which you and I will be held accountable before God not what someone else does. The question we will be held accountable before God is what we do with salvation, right? And so one way to miss salvation is to never personally deal with the issue. Focus only on hypothetical questions whenever the subject comes up. Just kind of divert attention to theological, you know, these broad questions and hypothetical questions and these specific examples rather than focusing on your own heart. Okay, second way. Second way to miss salvation is to focus on how many different religions there are. Look at what Jesus says in the next verse. 
Verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Now, Jesus is saying that the door to salvation is a narrow door. In other words, there are not a lot of ways to be saved. The door of salvation is not wide, accommodating many different belief systems and many different religions. No, no, no. The, the door, Jesus says, the door is narrow. Now, obviously, this is not a popular notion today, right? In fact, many people, many people feel like they can't really accept Christianity. They can't accept it because of this very issue. I had a conversation with a young man recently who was kind of wrestling with his faith, and, and he was asking these questions. And one of his first questions was this, what about all the religions that are out there? I mean, how can Christianity claim to be right, you know, the right one? Who's to say we're right and, and all these other religions are wrong? That is a great question that a lot of people are asking. Great question. A lot of people are asking this. So let's, let's think about it. I want you to think about that question in terms of the premise of that question. See, here's the premise of that question. If there are a lot of different options, then that means that no one of them can be totally correct. Right? That's the premise. If there are a lot of options out there, then no one of them can be totally correct. Now, this premise works when you're like choosing a brand of cereal. Okay? Um, but what about when you're sitting in a doctor's office and she tells you that you have some life-threatening disease? In that moment, would it, you've just heard this news. In that moment, would it comfort you to hear her say, you know, there are hundreds of ways that people theorize about how to treat this disease. So just do a Google search and pick one. Would that be comforting? No, that is not what you want to hear. What you desperately want to hear her say is, I know a treatment plan that works. I have seen it work effectively in hundreds of patients. That's what we want to hear. In 1955, when Jonas Salk discovered the vaccine for polio, no one, no one at that time, no one, he discovered the vaccine, no one said, how intolerant and narrow-minded and arrogant for you to say that your vaccine treatment is the only way to be saved from polio. How dare you say that? No one said that. Why? Because the vaccine worked. The vaccine worked. And everyone was grateful that it worked. See, don't fall into the trap of believing that because there are so many religious, uh, religions offering a way to God, that no one of them could possibly be true and the others false. See, there are specific reasons why it is totally legitimate to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. It's because what he offers, he, it's because he offers what no other religion offers us, a way for our sins to be forgiven. No other religion offers you that. Every other religion is an attempt to provide steps for you to get to God, things that you need to do in order to get to God. Now, the list changes depending on the religion, but they're all the same. They're, they're pray this many times a day. 
Go to church this many times a week. You know, you, you know, you just hope that you do enough at the end. You hope you do enough good deeds or whatever. See, Christianity is the only religion that says there is nothing you can do to save yourself. So God did it for you. He sent his son Jesus to die in your place on the cross. See, the door is narrow because Jesus provides something that no other religion offers, a way for our sins to be forgiven. It is not intolerant to believe this any more than it is to get a polio vaccine. You believe it because it works. It does what it's supposed to do. And Jesus is the same. You can believe in him because he does what he is supposed to do. He forgives your sin. He forgives your sin. Third way to not be saved, keep procrastinating. Keep procrastinating. Just assume that you have all the time in the world to make this decision. Just keep putting it off. Look at the next verse, verse 24 here. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. See, in this passage, Jesus uses an analogy describing the owner of a house who gets up at some point and he closes the door to the house and people on the outside begin knocking, right? They begin pleading for the door to be open to them so that they can enter into the home. See, the, 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 the point is clear. It's disturbing, but it's clear. There will come a point in time when the door to salvation is shut, when it is too late for people to enter, Jesus doesn't tell us when that moment is, only that it will happen at some point. And once it happens, the opportunity for salvation will be lost. No amount of knocking or pleading will change that. Now we say, oh, that's so unfair, blah, blah, blah. You know, but hold it here. We totally get this concept in the realm of sports. We totally get this. You lose the Super Bowl, that's it. There's no one going back, hey, could we go back to that one play in the fourth quarter? Could we just try that again? I think it'll work the second time. No, we, have no, we realize when the buzzer sounds, the game is over. It's over. But see, we tend to think in the spiritual realm, we tend to think differently in the spiritual realm, that there will always be another chance. There will always be another chance. There will always be another opportunity to fix things. That God will indefinitely extend his mercy to us. That that offer is always going to be on the table. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't promise us that. Instead, he warns us about the danger of assuming that we will always have opportunity to experience his salvation. At some point in time, Jesus says... At some point in time, the door will close. The door will close. So don't put this decision off as if you have all the time in the world, because you don't. You don't. A fourth way to miss salvation 
is to assume that familiarity with Jesus is enough. Assume that familiarity with Jesus is enough. Look, look at what Jesus says next, verse 26. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. Now, the language Jesus uses here indicates a specific group of people that he is focusing on, although we can apply this much more broadly. Clearly, his initial focus is on the Jewish people, especially the religious leaders. See, Jesus says, you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets at that banquet. See, in other words, all of your heroes are going to be there. All your heroes are going to be there, but you will be thrown out. Why? Because of their relationship or lack of relationship with Jesus. See, what kind of relationship did they have with him? Well, look what they said to him. You taught in our streets. We ate and we drank with you, remember? And Jesus says, I don't know you. I, I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. See, according to Jesus, being saved is, is about something more than just knowing information about Jesus or being around people who love Jesus or being able to quote some Bible verses about Jesus or being familiar with the ministry of Jesus. None of those things get anyone saved. None of them which had to be shocking for the people to hear because in their religious system, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, these guys, they were closer to God than anyone from their perspective, right? They were closer to God than anyone. I mean, if they aren't saved, then who can be? <laughs> and that's exactly Jesus' point. The, the system that they're using to try and get saved is not going to work. It's not going to work. Being familiar with Jesus and then just trying hard on your own to be a moral good person. That won't work. And the reason it won't work is because we're trying to be our own savior. Right? We're, we're trying to be our own savior. We're, we're trying to save ourselves through our good efforts and our Bible knowledge or whatever. And that doesn't work. What does work is humbling ourselves, acknowledging our need, and placing our trust in Jesus. That's how we get saved. It is not about our work. It's about Jesus' work on the cross, which is why Jesus then says, verse 29, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. See, notice, even though the door is narrow, there will be lots of people there, an amazing, wonderful, cultural diversity of people who are there. See, Christianity is not about being born in the right place or having a certain color of skin or a particular income. No, no, no. It is all about Jesus, which is why Jesus says in verse 30, indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. In other words, those who think they deserve it won't be there. And those who admit they don't deserve it will be. So if you are relying on your Christian upbringing or your familiarity with Jesus or your Bible knowledge or the number of Christian friends that you have, if you're relying on those things, you will miss 
salvation because it's not about any of that. It's all about laying aside your religious effort and instead trusting fully in the work of Christ, admitting your need for him and trusting fully in Jesus' work. Okay, one more way to miss salvation, and that is to focus only on God's love, not his judgment. Focus only on his love, not his judgment. See, a lot of people, they would never admit this, but a lot of people have a fairly narrow view of God. They say, look, God is a God of love, not a God of judgment. He loves everyone, so I'm good. I'm good. I don't need the salvation stuff because of God's love. I'm going to be okay, God's love and all that. So, so what is, let's just look at what Jesus says next in this passage and see kind of how well what he's saying fits into that particular framework I just described. Verse 31, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. What's going on here? Well, Jesus' life, clearly Jesus' life is in danger. Herod wants to kill him. But notice Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't say, oh, go tell that fox, God loves you and everything's going to be okay. Uh, he doesn't say that. Now, Jesus points to his mission. He points to his goal, which is crucifixion. Jesus knows that death awaits him in Jerusalem, and yet he just presses on. He knows death is awaiting him, but he presses on. Why? Here's why. Because God's judgment must be satisfied. See, Jesus is not going to Jerusalem as a prophet. He's not, he is going as a savior. He is going as a loving savior. See, here's the deal. God is both loving and just. He is both of those at the same time. It's not one or the other. It is both. And if we try to ignore one of these aspects of God, we miss who he truly is. If we're only going to focus, oh, he's just loving. We ignore the other. We're going to miss who God is. If we only focus on his justice, we're, we're going to miss who he is. It, he is both of these. And so we see this blending of love and justice in the next verse. Jesus says, verse 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Do you hear the tenderness, the love in Jesus' words? He longs to, he knows they're going to kill him, but he longs to gather his people to himself like a mother hen who watches over her chicks. This is his heart. This is his heart. It is a heart of love. But notice what he says next. He says, I've longed to gather you to myself. But look at what he says next. And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says, I long to gather you, but you weren't willing 
You rejected me. You did your own thing. You tried to save yourselves. And because of that, judgment is coming. That's what he means when he says, your house is left to you desolate. Judgment is coming. Now, we, we may say, you know, God is loving. He would never punish sin. He would never judge people, right? We hear people say that. Maybe, maybe you think that too, but hold, follow me here. Because how, how would you and I feel about a judge just in our community? There's a judge who never punished wrongdoers. How would we feel about a judge who let criminals go free? A judge who never dispensed justice. We would despise a judge like that. We would vote him or her out immediately. We would despise a judge like that because that judge would not be loving at all. That judge would be a moral monster. See, God's absolute love requires his absolute justice. And these two seemingly incompatible attributes, they come together in an amazing way on the cross. They come together in an amazing way on the cross. See, when Jesus died on the cross, God's judgment against humanity was satisfied. God poured out his judgment upon Jesus. Why? For the sake of love. For the sake of love. He longs for us to come to him, to experience a personal love relationship with him where our sins are forgiven and he actually comes to live within us. See, that's the invitation of salvation. It's amazing. In fact, I love the imagery Jesus uses here. Did you notice he talks about this banquet? This banquet. See, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. A glorious party, an eternal celebration in heaven. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on the salvation that Jesus offers you. This promise of forgiveness and Jesus' presence living in us now and also the promise of eternal joys in heaven. So I want to stop right here. I'm not done with the message but I want to stop right here and give an opportunity for anyone here to experience this amazing gift of salvation. Um, I want to, we're going we're to allow anyone just into the, to enter into this personal, eternal love relationship with Jesus. Don't miss. Please, don't miss. Maybe you're here to, with a friend or whatever, but this God is speaking to you. Don't miss what Jesus offers you. Don't assume there's always going to be a time to do this. Perhaps now is the time for you. So let's, let's just bow our head. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. If this is the desire of your heart to experience salvation, to be saved by Jesus, then let's take care of that once and for all. Here we go. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. I haven't followed you very well. And I realize that my sin separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. Even though there is nothing I can do to save myself, no matter how hard I try to clean up my life or to go to church or whatever, there's nothing I can do to save myself. 
you came to me. You sent your son, Jesus, to earth. And Jesus, you died on the cross to pay the penalty that I should have paid. You took the judgment that I deserved to pay. Thank you. I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring you my questions and my doubts and my fears and my failures and my sins. I just bring it all to you. And I leave it with you. And in exchange for all that, I receive your life. Forgive my sin, past, present, and the sins I haven't even committed yet, all of them washed clean by your blood. And come live in me through the presence of your Holy Spirit, changing me from the inside out. So Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, help them grow in this amazing relationship that is theirs. I pray they would know how much you love them and they would be transformed by your love. Help them grow now in this relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now, that is, that's the, the theme of the Bible. It's salvation, right? One of the cool things about the Bible is it reinforces this theme through symbolism. It does this with a number of things. There are all sorts of symbols things that represent other things in the story of Scripture. And one of the most beautiful and powerful symbols in the Bible has to do with salvation. And it's the symbol of baptism. This baptism, when a person is baptized, they, they are completely immersed in water, which is a symbol of what Jesus um, does when he cleanses us from all of our sins. But not only that, when a person, so they're under the water, symbolizing cleansing. When they come out of the water, it symbolizes their new life in Christ. See, salvation makes us a new person. And baptism symbolizes that. It symbolizes that. Which is why Jesus commanded every believer in, in him to be baptized. Not as a way to be saved. No, it's a, a way to publicly declare our faith in him. So today, we get to celebrate salvation by seeing some people in our church family get baptized. They have placed their trust in Jesus, and they're now obeying him by participating in this symbol of salvation. Now, these people, these, these people have gone to a baptism orientation, and so they have come prepared to be baptized. But there are others of you here. There are others of you who God may be inviting to take this step today, even if you hadn't planned on it. So maybe you just prayed that prayer with me. A moment ago, receiving Jesus' gift of salvation. Why not be baptized right now? That's how it happened in the Bible. We've kind of, you know, put this delay, but this is how it happened in the Bible. Once someone was, received Christ, they were immediately baptized. So why not be baptized today? There are others of you who received Christ a while ago, but you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus. I'm not talking about infant baptism, which is more of an expression of your parents' desire for you. I'm talking about you 
being baptized to publicly declare your faith in Jesus. God commands us to do this once we become a Christian. So if that's you, why not be baptized today? Why put this off any longer? Now, I know, I know sometimes we think, well, I'd really like this person to be here, or I'd really like my friends to be here, or my parents to be here, or whatever. I, I totally get all that, but I, I, I want to gently remind you, this is not about them. It's not about them. This is about you following Jesus. It's about you obeying a clear command of God to be baptized. We're going to take pictures anyway, so we can get, you, you can show it to everyone, okay? Um, but why not do this today? I mean, you can wait until the next baptism here in, in April or whatever, but why not just do this today? Even if you weren't planning to do it, that's okay. We have extra shirts. We have extra towels. We have, we, we, you can do this. We have what you need, okay? You can do this. Now, let me mention one other thing. We, we're asking that anyone who's going to be baptized spontaneously um, today to be at least 13 years old. And the reason is, we want to make sure that children have had time to process this with their parents. We don't want parents right now hearing this message and running to Kids Connection and grabbing their kids. You're going to be baptized. And the children are like, what is going on? Uh, we, we don't want that to happen. So if you are under 13, and because of this message, you are now feeling that you really want to be baptized, we just encourage you to talk with your parents sometime soon. And then if they feel like you're ready, you can be baptized at our next celebration in April. Now, if you are under 13 years old and you came to the orientation this last week, you're good, okay? That's great. We know you've had time to process this and, and your parents know of this and so we are comfortable with you being baptized today. Okay, so as we're kind of pondering this invitation that I'm giving here for you to be baptized, I want us to watch a video of some of the stories of people who are being baptized this weekend. So let's, let's watch this. I want to be baptized because I just want to symbolize that I believe in Jesus and that he died on the cross. Well, I want to be baptized to show everyone that I believe in Jesus and I can follow him. I want to just have all those people know that I know God and, and now that everyone will know it, we'll, we will just celebrate and we can all just have a great time. Since I'm getting baptized. I feel like I want to get baptized because I want everyone to know that I'm going to be a Christian and walking with Jesus forever. I want people to know I'm a Christian and, walk, and I want to walk in the path of righteousness. I was baptized as an infant and I feel that um, my parents chose it for me and now that I'm an adult, it's my turn to choose. I always felt there's been a gap or a hole in my life and I feel by being baptized, I'll, be, I'll have a chance to go deeper with my relationship with God. Well, Christ community has been a blessing in my life since I've been coming uh, to the church for the last six months and for me to be baptized and to come out a whole person and start new again where I belong with Christ community is very important to me. Baptized when I was a baby, but as I grew older, I kind of fell out of um, faith and just did my own thing until a couple years ago. And I really was having bad anxiety, anxiety attacks and just would kind of freak out and not know what was in my future. 
I talked about it with my husband and we started going to Christ community and I don't have anxiety like I did before. And so I'm, it makes my life easier <laughs> and I love it. I was baptized as a uh, infant and I don't remember it, of course. Um, but um, this year has been a trying year for me going through a divorce. I strayed a little bit from Jesus uh, throughout my marriage. I needed help. I couldn't do it on my own. So um, my best friend asked me, hey, do you want to come to church with me? I've got a really great church. Uh, now that I understand my relationship with Jesus um, a little bit better, uh, I, I just want to proclaim my faith to my family and friends and especially my kids. Um, I've never been baptized before and I feel like the Lord has been planting seeds in my heart for a long time and sitting in church service a couple weeks ago and Pastor Allen said that the baptism was coming up it just felt like the right time and the right place and I just knew that I was ready. I'm at a point in my life where I just kind of feel like I want to recommit my life to Christ and I just feel like baptism is just kind of an outward symbol of what's in my heart. After um, thinking about it many times and then just never doing it, this time it just called on my heart to make sure that my heart was in the right place and to be able to make that profession um, outwardly and to this church community that is just so important to me. You know, it, it had been on my heart for a while to get baptized and there was this one specific morning I woke up on Sunday to go to church and it was very heavy on my heart and there were two messages that morning uh, that Pastor Allen gave. And the first message was how to listen to God. And the second message was the power of being baptized and that was just you know, almost like a slap in the face to me, like, it's just, it's crazy how God works. And it was, you know, since then it's been on my heart and be more excited. I was baptized as a kiddo, and so now I'm baptizing for myself and my own relationship with Christ. I am getting baptized to proclaim to Jesus and myself that I am living my life for Him and that I am dedicated for His plan for my life. I want to show my old ways and thinking are gone and I've been renewed by uh, Jesus and I want to show just outwardly that I am a new person and uh, God saved me. It's gone from the point where I used to be made just so bitter and so angry uh, <laughs> about how you know hurtful things that were happening to me were going and now I just get made stronger and better and am more excited to live every single day. And uh, so that's why I want to be baptized. 